I am thankful to be a part of a congregation that truly loves one another. It's great to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's great to be able to gather together as a family this week as we begin a new year. And as we focus on things that are above and not on things below. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 13 and verse number 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what a blessing it is to be a part of the body of Christ. What a blessing it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another, who care for one another. Thank you for being here. It's been a great Sunday. We have a, had a great start to our Bible classes. Really looking forward to the Bible classes for this quarter and as we continue on in the year. I'd like to turn your attention to the book of Acts. I know we have spent a great amount of time over the last six months in this book, but I want to go back there for a few minutes this morning. There are certain passages in this book that, at least to me, really stand out, that really help us to see who we are supposed to be in the body of Christ, who we are supposed to be as children of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ. You can read the book of Acts and you can quickly see what the church is supposed to be all about. And that's one of the great blessings that we have with this book. We can see um, God's design for his people uh, in the church. And yet there are certain passages that I think also give us a nice snapshot or a guide or a pattern to follow that we as Christians should, should know and should be living as well. There's one big passage I want us to focus upon for the next few minutes, and we are actually are going to focus upon this passage throughout the entire year. It's going to be our passage for our theme as we move into 2020, and the elders will have more to say about this later on today. The passage I'm referring to is in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 32. Will you turn over there with me, please, to Acts chapter 4 and verse number 32? It's, it's just one of those great passages that we read about where we find the church... The church was already growing. About 3,000 souls had obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost. The apostles were doing the great, great work that Jesus had called them to do. Persecution had come upon God's people. Yet what we find is that there was unity among God's people, that they were of one heart and soul. In Acts chapter 4, in verse number 32, the Bible says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Don't you just love those words? One heart and soul. It's a powerful thought for us to think about. And I want to ask you, what comes to mind when you consider this phrase, one heart and soul? For me, this passage reminds us again of not only what we're supposed to be, but what we should be, Uh, one heart and soul as the people of God. And I want to just consider this phrase and investigate just for a few minutes this one heart, one soul, what it looked like and the significance of it. As you think about the disciples, those who were believers in Jesus Christ, those who are part of the way, that's what Luke said, that they are one heart and one soul. And The source of the one heart and one soul was their, their unity in Jesus Christ, the fellowship that they had with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. 
the faith that they had in Jesus as their risen Savior. I think one of the best ways to really see this this oneness and and where this oneness came from is found in Ephesians chapter 4 as Paul talked about the unity of brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesians chapter 4. And it really helps us to see this, this oneness that we should have as well and where it actually comes from. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us seven ones. And if you remember from the Bible class, we studied this a little bit. In chapter 4, he's already reminded them of what Christ had done in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So now in chapter 4, in verse 1, he said, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. These Christians, they were one, and they were to preserve the unity that they had through the Spirit. Then Paul is going to address and and remind them of some other things. He said in verse 4, there is one body. When you look at the church in the first century and those that we read about in Acts chapter 4, they were a part of the one body, the one church. The Bible helps us to see that there's only one body, there's only one church that Jesus has established. He established it on the day of Pentecost, and these Christians had been added to this body or to this church. He says back in Ephesians 4 and verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. And these Christians that we read about in Acts 4 and verse number 32, they have been obedient to the words of the Holy Spirit, of the one spirit. They heard the gospel message and they obeyed those words of the Holy Spirit. Paul said there is one body and one spirit just as also you were called and one hope of your calling. They all had the same hope in Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead and spending eternity with him one day. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling. Then he says there's one Lord. Those that we read about in the book of Acts, they believed in the one Lord. If you go back real quickly to Acts chapter 2, when the church of Christ was established in Acts chapter 2, what we find is that Peter proclaimed this one Lord, that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. In Acts chapter 2, this is how Peter would, would sum it all up as he talked about the miracles of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. He would say in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain, no doubt about it, that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, one Lord, that Lord indeed is Jesus Christ. You go back to Ephesians chapter 4 as we think about the source of the, the oneness that these Christians had in their, in their faith in Jesus and their fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. He said there's one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. You see, the, the saints in the first century... They all obeyed the one faith, that objective body of truth that Peter had delivered to them concerning Jesus and who he was and why he died and what he had done for them. They all obeyed the one faith. And then Peter or Paul would go on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The saints in the first century, they all obeyed the one faith and they were all baptized for the forgiveness of sins. 
That's what we read about in Acts chapter 2. And you go back there. They heard about Jesus being both Lord and Christ. They heard about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then Peter would tell them in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, after they asked the question, men and women or brethren, what shall we do? They recognized their sin. They asked, what shall we do? Peter said to them in verse 38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the one baptism. This baptism in water for the purpose of having your sins forgiven. These individuals heard the truth concerning Jesus. And they obeyed the faith and they were baptized for their forgiveness of their sins. Paul said there's there's one body, one spirit. One hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then in verse 6 he says, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. You see, the saints, they all believed in the one God of heaven, the Father, the one who sent his son Jesus to save the world. They all had fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all had faith in Jesus being the Son of God. And they were to they were they were to have this unity by or through the Spirit. They were to preserve that unity. That's how they were all unified with with what they believed and what they had done. They were one heart and one soul because of the Father, because of the Son, and because of the Holy Spirit. As we think about being one heart and soul, it begins with our unity in Christ. It begins with our relationship with Christ. Paul spoke about the hearts of the saints in Ephesus. And the hearts that they were to have toward one another because of who they were in Jesus Christ. What was going to hold them together? What was going to help them to, to, to be patient with one another and to be tolerant with one another and to love one another was what they had in Jesus Christ. That was going to be the source. That was the source of their oneness. The foundation of their oneness was not based upon their family background. It was not based upon their social status. It was not based upon their finances, but rather their faith in Jesus Christ, one heart and soul. You see, through him, they could be one. And the same is true for us. All you got to do is turn on the news or Facebook, and you can see there's lots of division in the world, lots of division in the world. But as God's people, we are called to be one. And from this unity that we have in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, the saints in the first century, they were one heart and soul, and so can we. And so as we think about the source of one heart and soul, it begins with, it begins with our Savior, Jesus Christ. It begins with our faith and fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. And I want to just talk for a few more minutes about when you look at the saints in the first century, what this looked like, and, and how it was so evident to people in the world, and even for those who are in the body of Christ. And you go back to Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 32 is a powerful text where, again, Luke records this. He says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. You see, this passage here helps us to see this unity and love and what it should look like and what it is supposed to be like. Number one, the saints in the first century, they they knew each other. They had this relationship. There was a a knowing that was taking place. They knew one another. And think about this for a moment. It's a really big church, really big congregation. 
thousands of people. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, the church may, you know, we don't want to get too big because how are we really going to get to know one another? Well, we don't stop teaching the lost, but we have to keep on working on these relationships. And that's going to take time and that's going to take effort. What we find in the first century was, yes, there was a lot of Christians, but they also had this relationship. They knew one another. And the size of, of who they were as the people of God, it didn't stop them. That is clearly evident when we look at Acts chapter 4 and verse number 32. They are one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. We knew or know that they knew one another just by looking at that verse, that they had to know one another and the needs that some of the Christians had during that time. We know that they had this close relationship with one another because when you go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 44, very similar language is found here in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 44 where Luke records this, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Day by day. Did you pick up on that? House to house. Did you pick up on that? They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. You see, they had these relationships. Yes, really big church. That didn't stop them. They were still one heart and soul. They knew one another. They had these relationships. There was this sense of community that they had with one another. And we know that they had this one heart and soul is very evident because there was a sharing that was taking place. That's what we also find in Acts chapter 4. It was evident in a number of ways. Before you even look at Acts chapter 4, we know that they shared. They shared a lot of things. Obviously the same faith in Jesus Christ. But when you look into the book of Acts, if you, if you read it last year in the Bible reading, they shared their faith with, one, with, with people in the world. They had that in common as well, where they went out into the world. And we talked about that this morning, this 2020 vision of evangelism and seeing the great need and seeing the great opportunities that are available. That's what the Christians did in the first century. They followed the lead, the, the, they followed the lead of the apostles. They followed them when it came to doing the work of evangelism as well. And they also shared a lot more. They shared their homes with one another. We saw that back in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 45. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 45, they were selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. They were sharing with those other Christians, those other believers, those other disciples that may have had need to the point where they were selling their land, selling their possession. And that didn't mean that when they became Christians, they just sold everything, but rather when need surfaced, they were willing to share, to sell, and to assist one another. One heart and soul is a powerful thought. And it wasn't just this idea of, yeah, we're all together in this. It was really demonstrated in their actions with their love for one another, the way that they were connected. People could see that there was something unique that these were individuals and, and people who were of the way and how they provided for one another. They were one heart and one soul. In fact, this idea of one heart, one soul, it was part of the DNA of God's people. It's what people saw in them. And I think this passage here in Acts 4 and verse 32 should be very encouraging and uplifting to all of us. Wouldn't you agree with that? One heart and one soul. 
Because as you think about who you are in the body of Christ, this is a great reminder for you and for me. It's a reminder of who we are supposed to be. That these relationships that we have together in Christ are really important and are not to be taken for granted and are not to be viewed kind of lightly. But this is really a big deal. That we are to be one heart, one soul. Believers, believers in Christ are to be connected. Christians are to be connected. The church is not just something that we do or go to. We, we make up the church. And as a church, we are to be one. We've got to get this mindset out. Oh, yeah, I, just, I just did that, now I'm all done. No, there's a relationship here. And from the passage of Acts chapter 4 and verse number 32, where, where Luke recorded, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. One of the big take-home points from this passage is that I need you and you need me. We need one another, period. We, we need one another. We don't just kind of do this on our own. We don't just kind of isolate ourselves and say, well, yeah, I mean, I showed up, but, 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 you know, that's, I mean, I did that. That's good enough, right? The saints couldn't do that in the first century. They needed one another. There's supposed to be togetherness. And it's a great thing when we have that. And there's something else I want you to think about. In Ephesians chapter 4, that's where I'm turning in my Bible. In Ephesians chapter 4, as you think about this concept of one heart and soul, I want you to really make it personal. Make it personal. This is about you, and it's about me. That each of us has a responsibility. One heart and soul. Not just a catchy title. For us, just kind of, oh, that's, a good, that's a good thought. No, 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 no. This is supposed to be who we are. And we've been studying from Ephesians chapter 4. We've already wrapped up that study, but all the classes are online if you want to take a look at that. Where Paul talked about in Ephesians 4, as he wrote to the saints there in Ephesus in verse 16. Listen to what he says here. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Do you see what he's saying there? That all of us are important. That all of us have this responsibility. According to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. As a part of the body of Christ, we matter. You matter. And how we view one another is going to go a long way when it comes to, to this oneness that we are supposed to have. You see, the saints understood this in the first century. And we need to make sure that we understand it as well. One heart and soul. As you think about 2020, and we'll talk more about this here in a few minutes. One heart and soul, I think, in, is going to do great things for us. It's going to help remind us of who we are to be. Of how we need one another. And just how much more we can continue to grow in the body of Christ. But each of us are going to have to do our part. The church in the first century, they were so close. And throughout all the obstacles, they continued to grow. They continued to love. They continued to be there for one another. And that's what we are called to do as well. And so as we think about this theme here, one heart and soul, 
Remember that this is who we are supposed to be. It's not just something that we'll think about just kind of periodically. It should have an impact upon our lives beginning right now because we are all part of the body of Christ. If you are a child of God in 2020, rejoice. If you're a part of the body of Christ, rejoice and count your blessings and recognize the great relationships that you have with with your brothers and sisters in Christ because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And know that you have people that love you, that care about you, that want to assist you, that want to encourage you and to build you up. And you also be thinking about building other individuals up and having that mindset as you view your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe there's someone here this morning who is not a Christian, who is not a part of the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, it was God who added those who obeyed the gospel to the body. And if you're outside of Jesus Christ, you need to be saved. You need to believe that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. You need to believe that he really has risen from the grave and that he has ascended back into heaven and that he is ruling at the right hand of God. And like the saints in the first century, like 3,000 individuals, you must repent and you must be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is not an afterthought. It's not because you've already been saved. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Are you in need of God's, of God's great gift, the gift of salvation? You can have it today, and you can be a part of his church, his body. If that is you, come now as we stand and as we sing.